Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. And we have the joy of being in Galatians chapter 5 tonight. If you are new to this journey, welcome. We're so glad to have you on this podcast with us. And if you uh, click subscribe on your on your your podcast platform that you use, you'll make sure to get every week. Um, we, uh, you, if you are new with us, please catch the uh, the previous previous four sessions we've done so far: Galatians one, two, three, and four. And if you like some Old Testament, you can go back in our episode history and and find some really good ones in there. But it's an honor to be with you tonight in Galatians chapter five. Let me open us up with a word of prayer, and we will journey forth. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this text that we have to study and for what you have to teach us. We just pray for my friend Mick here and for myself and, and, and that God, you would use us tonight and uh, that you would speak through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians 5. So we are starting with, and this is a very famous, famous chapter. You notice, for those of you who are, are avid Bible scholars, you, you will recognize Galatians 5 for the ending of tonight, a very famous list. But uh, yeah, we begin, Paul's been continuing this argument, this great dichotomy with his Galatian readers of, of where are we putting our confidence, in the flesh or in the spirit? And so we, we anticipate that coming up again tonight. Verses 1 to 6. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You who would be justified by the law. So I'll say that again. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Oh, but only faith working through love. My goodness, Professor, do you right away? I mean, the Apostle Paul has been just landing haymakers this entire chapter, this entire book, but he's, he starts off with just, just more, he, right at it. Very direct. Yes. So how do the Galatians get their freedom? So he starts off here, for freedom of Christ has set us free. Is this something that, because we see in the movies, really, really, like my, my favorite movie uh, in high school was Braveheart. And the very last, you know, they, they fought like warrior poets and won their freedom. It's a great ending to a movie. The, the Scottish did it. And so we love in the movies when people fight, 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 and they win their freedom. Is that the case here? Well, are, are they fighting for their freedom? No. Here's, here's what it comes down to. There is a fight. It's just not us. It's, it's, it's Christ. Mm. Christ does the fighting. Christ is the one that sets us free. Our freedom comes from him. He is the... Uh, the grand fighter who, who who gets us our freedom, so uh, you know, yeah, that's it. So it's so once again, it's not up to them. It's no. not their works that are. So what's the resulting command? What is he? So knowing that they're free, but they they they're not the reason they're free. Yeah. So now, what's the command? Well, the command is uh to to stand firm mm. and to not get back into slavery. Right. If you've been delivered from the slave blocks, why put yourself back in the yeah. blocks? It's like, stand firm instead. Do you know? So that tells us that 
they're facing some kind of a pressure or mm -hmm. manipulation. Yes. So that just reminds us that they're going, I mean, because Paul used the same language in the famous Armor of God chapter. He says, stand firm at least four or five times. And the opposition there is clearly demonically spiritual, the powers and principalities. So here it sounds like they're going up against people who are working them over and trying to convince them. He's mm -hmm. saying, hey, you've been freed. Stand firm. Yes. So in verses 2 and 3, so he's, he's talking to, says, okay, so I say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage to you. And then uh, the one who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the... So what does he mean here with um, advantage and obligation? What, what's verse well, 2 and 3 tell us? What, what, what he's communicating here is that the law and with the law, I'm going to include religious rights. So I might use the two phrases interchangeably. But with the law and, and the religious rights, they offer no advantage. Uh, on the contrary, what, what the law does is it actually burdens you with an obligation that is impossible to keep. I was thinking about Paul when, when he was writing in Romans 7.7. 7. You know, actually, let me backtrack a little bit. In Galatians 1.13, he's bragging about basically being the Jew of Jews. And he does this several times in his epistles where he's making a case by using himself as an example. Um, and he talks about himself being this Jew of Jews. But even in Romans 7.7, 7, he tells you, even as a Jew of Jew, I can't keep all the law. Mm. I can't. Nobody can keep it. If Paul couldn't keep it... Mm. Nobody else was going to be, you know, and, and he admits this, you know. Uh, so so definitely there, this is more obligation than advantage. That's for sure. It, give, it gives those of us who, who claim Christ a little bit of hope. We can smile on something. We actually have an advantage. Yes. We don't, we know we can't depend upon our works. Yeah. So good news. You can't depend upon your works. You depend upon Jesus. He right. is your advantage. But if you're going back to take him off the table... You can't claim him anymore. Right. It's like he's not an advantage to you anymore if you're going to work, do these things, accepting their external works. Yeah, we, we mentioned this in week one, and we keep mentioning it every week. Once you alter the gospel in any way, it mm. stops being the gospel. It really mm. needs to depend completely on Jesus. Mm. I, I like I like how you said that because we're going to get in, in, in the very next verses. You're going to talk about falling away from grace. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's very tempting to look at that and... and I guess we can just go there momentarily. It's very tempting to look at that and say, how can somebody fall away from, from, from the faith? And I think you just said it. They alter the very gospel. Yeah. The very foundation of their faith are changing. Yeah. So how could you be having the same faith anymore? Yeah. It's like if you're changing the very means by which you are saved, the instead of by grace through faith, and now it's through by works through circumcision, I guess, then you're not believing the gospel anymore. You right. have no, there is no, grace isn't on the table anymore if you're now leaning upon works, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. So, so yeah, this advantage and he's, they're obligated. So if you're going to accept circumcision, you've got to be obligated to keep all of it. You can't just cherry pick and say, I'm just going to depend upon these works. No, no, that's not how it works. Moses wouldn't allow that. He said, you got to keep the whole law. Are you kidding me? So you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified under the law. My goodness. So what's Paul's argument here in verses four to six? Uh, contrasting the spirit and works of the flesh. So uh, you are severed from Christ, and then through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait, and then for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision count for anything, only faith. What's his argument here? So he's saying we cannot earn God's salvation. Mm. We cannot. Nothing. And, and any attempt to do so is tantamount a rejection of the salvation he's actually giving to us for free. On the other mm. hand, salvation, referred in verse 5, as righteousness, uh, it can, it can only be received by faith. 
to live by by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. Mm. These are going to be used in this passage. It's synonymous to receiving salvation by grace through through faith. Mm. Bottom line is, there's nothing that can be done to for that that this cannot be earned by works. This can only be received by faith. And, and Jesus said it in, in John fourteen six. This is where it's like you you can't have it both ways. It, Jesus said in John fourteen six. There's only one way to God, and it's by faith in Him and nothing else. So mm. that's that's what it comes down to. That's the difference between uh, works and, and the Spirit. Yeah, and in verse 4, there seems to have been a real... Like for Paul to use such strong language, you who would be justified by the law, you being severed from Christ. Like you were attached to Christ, but now that's been cut, and you're just you're severed. And then you fall away from grace. That's strong language there. So there must have been a real risk for these, these new Christians to, or at least the ones who were claiming to be Christians originally, and then they're going to depend upon grace. Is do you see a possibility here that may not be overt apostasy? Maybe they're just a, they're they're depending upon, um, you falling away from grace being what is saving you. You're now turning to something else that can't save you. Mm-hmm. Could that be what he could could he be talking about that? You who be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Is that he wants us to understand the two options very clearly, and so mm. I think this is why he uses such strong language because mm. he really wants us to really get this. You're either justified by the law, which means you're not justified at all, mm. or you're, you're justified by 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 grace, by, by faith. And and he's making it very clear that. You know, if, if you're going to go with the law as your means for salvation, where you're going to try to earn it, you know, well, good luck to you because it ain't going to happen. Right. You have no hope, which is why I love how mm-hmm. in verse 5 it says, For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. Mm-hmm. So righteousness has a hope to it. Yes. But it's through faith. It's like it's not my righteousness as in I'm going to do things on the outside mm-hmm. and that's going to give me hope. No, it's yeah. by faith I'm going to get that hope. Yeah. And there's something about that right standing before God that I'll be justified before God one day, finally and fully, but that's by faith in, yes. in Christ's work, not in my work. Right. And so that's just the, only one option as you put, as you painted the two options, as Paul paints the two options, only one option has hope. And that's really what sets us apart from the rest of the world, doesn't it? Yeah. We alone have hope. Yeah. And it's a hope that we can't fail because it's not dependent upon us. Correct. So there, there's this like a for real hope here, as as the author of Hebrews had called an anchor for the soul. This is good stuff. How would you just, these first six verses, this is a lot to take in. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Is there any way we can kind of just boil that down before we, before we move to the next section? Is there anything that just stands out to you? Because he's telling them now, stand firm. What's the biggest thing they need to stand firm on right here? Where are they putting their trust? The gospel. What the gospel it's, says. It's, it's what he said from chapter 1, and he has not let up here in, in chapter 5. So maybe the strong language of verse 4, falling away from grace, isn't really that strong when you consider he's already maybe used stronger in chapter 1. Mm-hmm. You change the gospel, there'll be a curse on you. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, what more do you need? Oh, well, he'll mention that curse down this, this chapter too. But yeah. Wow. Well, that's verses 1 to 6. So... That's a great setup there. Th- thanks for helping us understand that, Professor D. 7 to 12 here, and he's speaking again to his uh, Galatian uh, readers here. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. 
A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Woo! Boy, Paul. I mean, there's taking your argument to, to, to add infinitum, and then you're going for it. Man! Yeah. All right, so, um, wow. So, in verses 7 and 9, what's Paul's plea here? What's he pleading for? He wants the Galatians believers to return to the real freedom that God has called us into. you got to remember, when he ended chapter uh, um, 4, he ends it with, with the image of the, the free woman and the slave woman. Mm. And he says that we of the promise are the children of the free woman. Hence why he starts off this chapter with this whole freedom talk. Right. Uh, so he wants us to, uh, to continue growing. Um, uh, and he doesn't want us to, to stunt our growth with unnecessary add-ons and dead weight. Mm. Yeah, we're coming up to Passover here. And Passover uses unleavened bread. Yeah. And uh, is that what he's talking about here in verse 9? A little leaven, leaven is the whole lump. Is that... Is that, is that a yeast analogy? What's going on there, Mike? Well, with the leavens, once you add something like that for the unleavened bread, it stops being unleavened bread. Mm. Once you add any 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 leaven to, to that bread, it stops being unleavened bread, and they needed it to be unleavened bread. Mm. So he's making a very important point that especially his Jewish Christian listeners would know. Yeah, it doesn't take much. Uh, I, I'm not a my, my wife occasionally will bake bread, but I, I'm not much of a, a, a baker. But I understand that when you buy yeast at the store, it comes in little packets. Mm -hmm. You don't need a lot of it, and no. once you activate it, it, a little packet does a lot of work. And so that's, I think, what he's saying here. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Yeah. Like, we're not going to have any little compromise. A little compromise is just going to spread. Yeah, and yeast is a spreading kind of thing. And yeah, so he's just he's playing. Hey. He's warning them. Um, he's making it clear. I, I don't want... The gospel doesn't need add-ons. It doesn't need dead weight. Yeah, so this persuasion they're going through, he just flat out tells them, so it's not from him who calls you. So if Jesus is the one who's called them, so if we understand the way the gospel works, if the Father you know, gives to the Son, so if the Father's calling, this is not the Father calling here. No. He doesn't call for this uh, hindrance to the truth. I mean, the very same Jesus, like you said, claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He's not going to throw a hurdle for you to jump over. Yeah. He makes it clear. And so this is not coming from him. So, yeah, you, you were running well. This is this is good encouragement. At the same time, ouch. Yeah, so he wants them to keep on growing. Yeah. This is the stuff that works against real growth. So maybe in verse 4, he's just giving them, he's giving them this warning. Hey, if you don't, if you don't shape up. Then you've got a real chance of, of of walking away from this thing, and and there's some there's a lot of a lot is at stake here. We can't play fast and loose with the gospel, mm -hmm. and here it is like, hey, you were running so well, this, why can't we get back at it? Uh, wow, so seven and nine, and um, verse ten, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So, what is Paul confident of in verse ten? Paul's confident that that God will see it that. That we will we will come to our senses, and he will deal with those who deceive the believers. Um, this 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 kind of echoes what we were talking about earlier. 
the God's anathema curse from chapter one, mm. you know, um, on, on those who, who distort the gospel. And then it also kind of reminds me a bit of uh, what he'll write in, in Philippians 1 6 that he who began the good work mm. will complete it when the time comes. So God's going to see the believers through. So this is where um, I think this is also kind of a, an affirmation that, that you know, he's not talking about even the, the remote possibility of losing your salvation in verses 4 and 5 of this chapter, you know, when it talks about falling from grace. But basically the idea of, of having fallen from grace is just that they just never got there. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's confident that, you know, the ones who are doing the the, the the gospel dividing, the ones who are bringing in heresies, yeah, he's confident that they're going to get theirs. Yeah, they're going to get their comeuppance. Yeah, and he's confident that his readers will turn around. And when you consider the spiritual damage that these guys are doing, mm. it is, you know, you don't want to wish anybody ill well, but this is a very well-deserved uh, comeuppance, you know? Because yeah. you're talking about harming the spiritual well-being of other people. Yeah. In fact, that, that would be, if you, if you take the context right, I know a lot of people uh, read when Christ says, if you, if you cause one of these young ones to stumble, better that a millstone be tied around your neck and be tossed in the sea. And if you look at the context, in, in many of those instances, the young ones are the young ones of the faith. Yes. Not necessarily children, yeah. but just he's been talking about, oh, you little ones, talking yeah. about the, the people who are brand new to the faith. Right, people who are impressionable. Yeah, taking those people, causing them to stumble mm -hmm. in the faith, then... And that's what's going on here. These these are Gentile Christians taking a big step in the Roman world yeah. to not trust upon you know the ceremonies and the tapestry tapestries of Rome, and to turn to this one that was crucified. Mm -hmm. What a great step of faith that God had led them to that moment. Yeah. And here are these Jews from the mother church in Jerusalem, we assume, coming in and trying to deceive, and that that just wasn't going to happen, and that God wasn't going to stand for that. And there's a great danger though there for those who are. Wanting to lead others astray. And, wow. Uh, verse 11 speaks of, but if I brother still preach circumcision, he's kind of using a rhetorical question mm -hmm. here, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So what what's he saying regarding himself here? Well, apparently it seems like they're accusing him of, of, of uh, teaching the need for circumcision. And he is definitely not teaching about circumcisions as, as a means to salvation. I mean, this possibly stems from things like when he's encouraging Timothy to get circumcised in chapter 16 of Acts. Um, where he had, And the reason he had Timothy do that is simply because culturally, Timothy was half Jewish. For instance, we, we, read, we read earlier in chapter 2, they, mm. he did not have Titus submit to this at all. Right. Because he's completely Greek. So in Timothy's case, it had nothing to do with salvation. It just had to do with, like, you're Jewish. You should do this because you're a Jew, and I and also the, I, you know I was doing a little bit of, of research. You know when he's talking in, in, I can imagine them distorting what he would say in in, um, in 1 Corinthians seven eighteen, uh, taking it out of context where, where he's telling the the Jews like, hey, if, if you're you're circumcised, you don't have to become uncircumcised. If you're you know if you're uncircumcised, you don't have to. But I, you know I can see them. They just take that part of the circumcised becoming uncircumcised, and it's like, mm -hmm. see, see, you need to be circumcised, and just kind of really mm -hmm. distorting. What Paul has said in the past. Yeah, and, and this verse 11 might even, I like what you said there, because this verse 11 might just be giving us what these Judaizers are saying. Yeah. They're probably saying something like, hey, even Paul, your, your, your kind of spiritual father, he circumcised and he preaches circumcision. Yeah. So we're getting like behind the veil what they're yeah. saying because he's confronting us. Right? Yeah. I, I like how, you know, you brought up maybe they're accusing him because he's having to come back against that. Yeah. 
the, the offense of the cross has been removed. What in the world oh, could yeah, that mean? Yeah, yeah, with regards to the cross, what he's saying uh, to his opponents is that they take offense to the message of the cross because at the end of the day, it's going to undermine all of their attempts of earning mm-hmm. God's salvation. And they're so... Uh, they're, they're just full of themselves that they're actually somewhat capable of adding on to God's salvation or mm. doing something in it. So, But when you have the message of the cross, the message of the cross pretty much kills it. Mm. Yeah, so as Paul faithfully preaches the gospel, the cross is, is an offense to his, his listeners because of the curse that goes to the cross. Mm-hmm. But if Paul is now... On their side, by preaching circumcision, then the cross really isn't necessary. It's mm. not something that, well, it's not offensive anymore because I'm doing my work, and so I'm the one who's working. Yeah. So he's making a point here, I, I think, that it's just, um, there's no there's no offense anymore. Because if, 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 if I'm like these enemies who are preaching circumcision, then what's the cross at that point? So yeah. there's, uh, but since he's not, then you've got to deal with the cross yeah. and deal with the fact that, on the cross, Jesus did the work, and I can't do work that matches that, or yeah. or or adds to that, or anything like that. It makes any doesn't make any sense. And verse twelve, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So, uh, is there anything spiritual we can take from that, or is he just making a? I think, a point? I think he's essentially saying that you know if you, if you're so hung up, and you know the 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 key issues is these bodily rituals, these things you do to the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're so important to you in earning God's salvation, why not take it to, to its uh, fullest uh, probably extent and just, just go ahead and, you know, chop it off like the, your pagan counterparts. Right. You I, know? Mean, uh, I mean, circumcision <laughs> is, is, is no more a means for salvation as, cast, as castration is. It I mean, neither makes you holier. It's almost like he's saying that, if these external works, if the, if circumcision makes you holy, then be as holy as possible. Yeah. Don't stop at the foreskin. Yeah, don't stop there. You Just know? keep going. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why you might as well be as holy as you can, right? Yeah, right. Go, I mean, go all the way. Please laugh with us, those of you who are listening. That, that's, that, this is, it's ridiculous, but he's making a ridiculous point because their points are ridiculous. Yeah. And so, all right, so that's, that's 7 to 12. So we continue with 13 to 15. This chapter just kind of just pours right on. Uh for he goes back to freedom here. For you, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, so you're not consumed by one another. What boundaries does freedom have here, Professor D? Okay, uh, regarding uh, freedom, is true freedom is, is not the idea of being able to do whatever I want. That's not freedom. Uh, it's not to continue to do the things that are destroying us. That's the problem. When we define freedom like uh, it's whatever I want. No. Freedom is to not do that which destroys us. So true freedom is not letting our appetites control us, uh, but instead to be uh, to be free of these the destructive tendencies that, that we are otherwise powerless against uh, by virtue that we are creative beings. We're always going to be under someone or something. Uh, real freedom means that we are we are not controlled by what is killing us, that is sin, but we choose to instead be controlled or be led by God. Mm. When when we're led by God, again the language here is led by the Spirit, we, we love and, and and what love does is it actually helps us build each other up instead. The opposite of destroying. Mm. Yeah. 
That's good stuff, man. That's those are good boundaries. Yeah. All right. So, regarding the Galatians, what does he say here? What needs to start? What needs to stop? What's he talking about so here? Again, we we start living in love, which is the way of the spirit. Then again, like I said earlier, we we build each other up, and what we stop doing is we stop uh, setting up against each other. You know, because of the fact that we're slaves to our appetites. What happens is I have an appetite that makes me do this. When I mean appetite, I mean your drive or, you know, that thing that controls you or compels you to do whatever. You have a different thing. Guess what? Those things are going to clash with each other. Mm. So that makes us selfish. You know, they, they obviously focus on us being very selfish, very self-oriented and destructive towards others and ourselves. Mm. Yeah, it almost like verse 15 is painting the picture that the influence of these outsiders, these Judaizers, is nitpicking what people are doing so much that there sounds like there's a lot of criticism and a lot of maybe uh, clicks. Like, I, I'm part of this group because we do this and other part. And it sounds like there's some backbiting or some biting back and forth. and deva- There's something about that. Well, yeah, and, and as we mentioned in the earlier chapters, what happens is it, it tends to create this kind of like class system of Christianity that, right. that, that doesn't exist in the gospel. So if you take that attitude, so just just like they emasculate themselves, if you take this attitude of biting of, and biting and devouring one another, mm-hmm. you're just going to consume each other. Yeah, it's like you, you don't just take small bites of your sandwich; you eventually consume the sandwich. Yeah, but you take enough bites, and that sandwich is gone. Yeah, it's like hold on here. They got how are you living with each other? Are you known as loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you known as serving one another? Are you are you biting one another? Are you right. devouring? What? Who wants to be part of a group like that? And that's. They're saying they gotta start, and they're saying they gotta stop. My goodness! So now we come to the famous, uh, the famous portion of, of scripture. If you are someone who has ever heard the fruit of the spirit, you should have in your mind. If you ever want to find it, it's Galatians five. Always remember, you, you can memorize what. You may not be able to memorize all the verses, but you can memorize chapters. And if you can't memorize chapters, remember, okay, well, the fruit of the spirit's in Galatians. Okay. You can do that with the armor of God's in Ephesians. They can do that with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. All right. But I say, this is verse 16. We're going to be 16 to 23 here. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, or fits of anger, excuse me, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Wow. Back up to verse 16, would you please, Mick? What is the great either-or of verse 16? You're either uh, led by the Spirit, you follow the Spirit, or you're being controlled by your appetites, your, your drives. Mm. Your sin nature, your flesh, you know, however you want to refer to it as. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're keeping walking by the spirit. So yeah, you're 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 walking by it and and so you're going to do you're you're gonna you're gonna to wanna to be so I, I like how in verse eighteen 
if, if walking by the Spirit in verse 16 is, is goes to verse um, verse 18, being led by this. You're not just walking by, mm-hmm. you're being led by. So mm-hmm. the Spirit is leading you. And we're not surprised because a couple chapters ago, Paul talked about who is it that keeps you growing? Mm-hmm. Who's keeping you, you know, we talked about uh, progressive sanctification. Is the, 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 the flesh isn't doing it. The works aren't doing it. Mm-hmm. The Spirit's doing it. Right. So you're not just walking you know, by the Spirit, but you're, you're, you're being led by the Spirit. There's something, something profound here going on. It's a great either-or. And so these two lists, these are a famous list. Most people know the fruits of the Spirit list, and this might have been the first time you've ever backed up a couple verses and read the other fruit list, or the, the, the works of the flesh list, the bad fruit. Um, what do these two lists picture, Mick? They picture what an unsaved person is and what a saved person is. Mm. So to, to, to go off of that then, they picture if, if you're living life by the flesh. No, I, I, can't, you can't, I can't say it better than that. So if, if, you're, if you're living, if your whole world is the flesh, then these are the fruits that will most likely be on your tree. Yes. Because you don't belong to Jesus if you're depending upon the flesh. Right. And if you don't belong to Jesus... These are the fruits that are going to be on the branches of the tree that is your life. But if, you, if you're being led by the Spirit, you shouldn't see these. You right. should see the second list. That's, I, I, I love your bluntness there, Mick. Yeah, I mean, there's passages, and I'll give you an example. In 1 Corinthians, it gets a bit trickier because one of the things that Paul deals with primarily is talking about mature or spiritual Christians versus immature and uh, carnal Christians and he refers to both of them as saved categories even though the carnal Christians have clearly indulged in things that they should but he's correcting them about these sort of things here he's talking about the two different kinds of people there are mm. this is where he's made the either or propositions where you're either following either your salvation is by grace through faith or if it depends on works you're not saved there's only those two categories Kind of reminds me a little bit of First John. It's black and white here, mm. and he's talking about this is what the saved. And obviously, the the idea of this is this is what you ought to be. Right. This is what you're supposed to be like. You know. Obviously, we we've done some of the things on the sadly, you know, on, on the uh, the works of the flesh. We have. I've had fits of anger to my shame. I I've been divisive. I've been envious. You know. Maybe I don't. I I, I don't check off all of the things on that list. But I, I, I check enough of them to, to embarrass me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I need to remind, be uh, reminded that I need to be what is the fruit of the Spirit. Right. I, 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 my mind is going back to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Mm-hmm. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It's yeah. like, in your freedom, don't have these fruits on the trees. And well, I'm free. I can do what I want. No, you can't. And if, you, if you're, you're saying you could do whatever you want and you look at the tree that is your life and you've got these fruits on your tree, yeah. it's time to knock it off. It's like something's going on here. Instead, serve one another through love. And through love, serve one another. And, and the love, joy, peace, peace, all those fruits of the Spirit, that looks like a life that is serving someone else in love. Yeah, It's like they're all flowing from love, but that love is serving one another. So your church should be full of those good fruits. Your, your life should be full of those fruits of the Spirit because that's true freedom now, serving one another in love, not freedom as in I'm going to serve myself. And you might say that's a great... Actually, that sounds like to me that's a great great contrast. Lust, which if I was going to use one word 
to describe the, the acts of the flesh, the fruits of the flesh, maybe selfish, but, but lust would work out great versus love. Lust is a very selfish taking kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas love is a very selfless serving kind of thing. A giving thing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're if, if you're using your freedom to take and to be selfish, you're going to see these fruits on your tree, these bad fruits. But if you're using your freedom to serve one another in love, the spirit's going to lead you so uh, th- these are the fruits you're going to see. Yeah. So we have here in verse uh, in verse 18 and also verse 23. I, I, my first question is going to be verse 23, but he repeats it. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Verse 23, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What's he saying here about the law, Mick? The fruit of the Spirit represents and, and produces what the law simply could not accomplish. That's what it, what, it, what it does. And these are things that the law has no beef with anyways. Mm. So you're saying if... If I understand you correct, Professor D, if the fruit of the if the fruit of the spirit is on these Galatian trees, then Moses has no issue with them, and his the law he wrote can't condemn them. Correct. Because they're living according to the ultimate lawgiver, yeah. the Spirit. Yes. And he's producing that fruit. So, against if you're living this way, the law can't bind you on this. Which is what the Judaizer enemies are trying to do, to bind them by the law. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Stand firm. Live this way and take take the handcuffs out of their hands. Mm-hmm. They can't bind you with this thing. Right. There is no law that can bind you at this point. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no law here. The, the law can't bind you if, you, if you're if you're producing the fruit of the Spirit, which is you're producing... If the Spirit is producing God's fruit in your life, then... God's law is not going to condemn you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's that's the the great fruit of the spirit list here. Uh, verse twenty four to twenty six. Moving right along. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So it's like just just going after Galatians two twenty again. Here it is. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Wow, let's just take these a verse at a time. In verse 24, Mick, what's the closing word regarding the flesh? It's that uh, in our union with, with Jesus, that is, when, when we belong to him by, by trusting him for our salvation and, and, and receiving his grace by, by faith, we have, in essence, surrendered our, our sins at the foot of the cross, where Jesus is there, paid for them. Um, mm. Jesus is now the Lord. So now we exchange Jesus as our Lord, where, where it used to be sin. So sin is no longer our master. Mm. Salvation still needs to, to work its way through us to, to make it happen in our everyday lives. Mm. But by faith, it's already a done deal. Uh, in other words, salvation is not so much a, an, an if, but more of a, a when. And the when as far as a when we get to, to see it culminated. Mm. Yeah, I, I just something has jumped into my mind. So if you take verse twenty four here, and, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. So Jesus, he crucified his flesh physically. Mm-hmm. So he was physically crucified. So we we crucify our flesh spiritually or metaphorically because mm-hmm. because we're not little. So same thing. I've been yeah. crucified with Christ. I no longer live. No, I'm not the one on the cross. Yeah, he was on the cross. But so he was—he crucified his flesh physically, and so 
I who belong to Jesus, you who belong to Jesus, we crucify our flesh metaphorically alongside Jesus. So we, we, we're doing it spiritually yeah. with his passion and desires. So that also tells me, Mick, that there are some people out there who would argue that desires aren't in, in, in themselves sinful. And I'm wondering here if, if there's something more to passion and desires. If they're, if, if, if they're going to be birthing in you and leading you astray, as James would put it, they need to be crucified too. They're mm-hmm. just they're just right up there with the flesh, mm-hmm. the the passions I have in my heart and the desires that I you know I guess you could say well I'm not obeying my desires but let's put those desires on the cross too yeah I mean it's, it's I don't I don't want to I don't want our listeners to let themselves off the hook when they say well I have the desire that's doing these things but by God's grace I don't do it well good you shouldn't be doing those things and that's a great thing for us to remember that we don't have to sin God always provides that way out of temptation. But I, I wonder, Mick, if there's something to be said here about these passions and desires that also should be crucified. Because he puts them in the same thing, crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So they're, they're on the cross too, it looks like. Okay, so part of my having faith in Jesus is that, Jesus, you died for my sins. You died for, because I recognize that this sin is bad mm. and it's destructive. And this is why I believe that you died for my sins and by... Placing my faith. So the thing is, if I have had the faith to believe that Jesus died for my sins, therefore, the idea is that for me to put my confidence in Jesus because I believe sin is a a bad thing, why would I want to continue Mm. in sin? Right. That's the whole thing. Why do I want to continue in sin? Sin is the slave master. Yeah. Sin is the slave master I'm trying to get to break free from. Sin is the slave master that the law never succeeded in breaking, liberating me from. If anything, he, he kind of emboldened sin in my life, the law. Um, you know, so this is the thing that I needed to be saved from. It's like, why am I going to accept Christ's sacrifice on my behalf mm. if I'm going to continue with the thing that I know put me in, in, the, in, the, in, in right. the problem in the first place? It's as if you're saying to God, give me new desires. Yeah. You help me to be passionate about the right things. Yeah. And not just, you know, okay, I have these desires. What can I do with them? No, I, I, I'm throwing them on the cross too. I, 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 I'm sick of not submitting my desires to yeah. you, Lord. I'm going to submit them to you as well. So that's verse 24. Verse 25 here, um, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step of the Spirit. Make, what's the clo- so you've got the closing word regarding the flesh. What's the closing word regarding the Spirit? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. And I think that instead of using if, as it says here, you know, if we live by the Spirit, it's better understood as since. Ooh, love it. Since we have been given a new life by the Spirit. Love it. We need to live in a way that follows His lead. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like He's using something that's very logical here. Since mm. we, are, we live by the Spirit, then it makes sense that we are keeping in step with the Spirit. And mm. He described what keeping in step with the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. He finished explaining it. This is what it looks like. Amen. Well, that's the closing word regarding the flesh and the closing word regarding the spirit. Now verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what attitudes does Paul address at the end and how do they tie all this together, Mick? Well, since, since we did not earn our salvation to begin with, there really is no room for conceit here. 
can't brag about anything. There's, there's nothing I can brag about. It's not like I did this. I didn't save myself. There's I no resume. They're, 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 right. <laughs> I've got nothing to, to show. So there's. So what am I going to brag about? See, and that's the problem with the, with the Judaizers is they actually have something to, the, wrongly, but they think they got something to brag about. You know, well, you know, I was circumcised on the eighth day as Paul was kind of doing it. You know, well, the was, Pharisees and their tithing. I yeah. tithe a tenth of all these little yeah. seeds. and Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, so there's no room for bragging <laughs> because my salvation was given to me. Right. Um, so in, in a life led by the Spirit, there, there is no place for us to be at odds. I mean, look at the, again, look at the list. Love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, look, let's just stop at peace alone. Peace means I can't be at odds with people. Mm. So if I'm having problems or, or conflicts with people, if, if peace is, is is what it means to be led by the Spirit, right. then then that's that needs to lead me to conflict resolution, not conflict instigation, not provocation, as it uses right here, you know, provoking one another, you know, and definitely there there could be no room for envy either. Yeah, if if you see somebody in your church that you you look at how the, the God is using them and. And you may feel in your heart envy. Yeah. Remember this verse. There's yeah. no room for that. Yeah. And, and if you notice, these are relational characteristics of the of of, of, of the flesh. These, right. these are the ones that, if you look at verse 20, it kind of has like they're kind of like in little clusters. The ones in verse 19 tend to focus on sexual sins. The ones in verse 20 tend to to focus on these relational sins that oh, we yeah. have. Yeah. So it's the and, and bottom line is it's not in keeping in step with the spirit. Yeah, conceited and provoking and envying, those are just dividing things. Yeah. And the fruits of the flesh or the fleshly works, they're, they're, remember, those are the lusty, selfish dividing yeah. that there's taking there. And we're not doing that. We're, we're living by the Spirit. We're not focusing on other people to yeah. the degree that we used to do. And, wow, this is good stuff. My goodness, this was a... a uh, this, this lesson tonight just moved right through. Paul just continues. He keeps banging that same drum. And he... And, and he's calling them to resume running well. They were running so well, but they've been hindered. And, yeah. and my goodness. And now he's showing how it actually looks in, in, right. in the day-to-day -day now. You know, the earlier parts, it was like we, we said, it was purely doctrinal. Not that there's no doctrine here, mind you. But here it's a bit more applicable, more application-oriented. How right. it actually looks like in, in the day-to-day -day life of, of Mick. Going through the Monday through through Saturday. Amen. Yeah. So uh, let's have some closing thoughts. We got we, we finished our chapter five here. How do you land the plane tonight, Professor Dean? I think you know, man. There's a lot of good stuff, and then to to really pick, I, I, I you know, I'm going to focus on the fact that real freedom only happens when we're in a right relationship with God, mm. um, where where He is our Lord, and, and we are led by His Spirit. That's what it means. All of that it's connected. Mm. Um, Outside of his leading, what, what are we left with? We're left with our with our with our lusts, our appetites, our desires, right. our passions. You know, they they can all be kind of like used to, and, and these things. The problem is we don't know how to use them in the right proportion, so that they, they lead us to to destruction. Um, the real freedom comes from being free of both the demands of the law, mm. which we cannot keep anyways, and also from the appetites. That, that that can control us mm. and destroy us. Amen. And and destroy relationships with other people. Right. It's really hard to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. As he reminds us in verse 14, if you're living by the works of the flesh. Yeah. 
that's not a group that loves his neighbor. Yeah. That's a group that devours us now. And, and you know, the, the, the funny thing is, like, you know, it's like, why, why doesn't he go with the great commandment that you shall love the Lord your God? Because bottom line is kind of everybody takes that one like, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, but when you look at it, the best way you can see your love for God is how you get along with yeah. with the people made in his image. If you can't love your neighbor whom you can see, yeah. you're not going to love God whom exactly. you can't see. It, there's just no, yeah, how I land the plane tonight is, is, is yeah, I, I use this passage in, in counseling a lot. Um, and it's real tempting to be a fruit inspector here when it comes to other people and to point out, hey, you don't have this fruit in your life. But I would encourage our listeners to be a fruit self-inspector. And I used to work, uh, a million years ago, I used to work at, um, at, at Target, and, and, and we had this, they had this great computer system. Every time something was bought, it, it went through the computer, and, and it triggered something at corporate to send on the next truck, that has to be on the next truck to be able to replenish what was on the shelves. It was a beautiful system. Every time something was bought and scanned, that scan works. And so you always had something in stock. They had it was this beautiful system they had. They kept stock of their shelves so exceedingly well. There was there was excellence and, and real just they did a good job keeping stock of what was there, what was not there. So with us, these fruit, this is a tree image he's given us here. Take stock of your branches. What is on your branches? The branches of the trees that is your life. Are you seeing the fruit that shouldn't be there? Are you seeing the fruit that should be there? If you're seeing fruit that shouldn't be there, those are opportunities to repent. So if you're seeing any of those bad bad fruits from uh, verses 19 to 21, those are opportunities to come before the Lord in humility and repent. Lord, I'm seeing these fruits on my tree. And maybe someone you trust, asking them to take a look at yourself. Say, I'm seeing these things. Are you seeing this in my life? Well, yes or no. And if you're, so if you're seeing fruit that shouldn't be there, it's time to repent and turn to God. If you're not seeing fruit that should be there, and most often that fruit will be like self-control, or maybe you're not gentle, or maybe you're just, you're, you're, you're not a kind person. Okay, if you're seeing fruit that is there that shouldn't be there, it's time to repent. If you're seeing, if you're not seeing fruit that should be there, but is not there, that's a good time to submit to God and to say, God, I can't produce this fruit. This is the Spirit's fruit. But Holy Spirit, please grow this fruit in me. Please lead me through a season of my life where I have to grow in patience, where I have to grow in kindness. Please bring someone into my life that I have to show peace towards that I have to show joy and gentleness so that may grow in my tree. And just submitting to the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit as he grows those fruits in your life and then responding with obedience. And that's how I land the plane, my friend. Yeah. Very cool. This has been uh, Masterclass Theology, Galatians chapter 5. And as always, I've been Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. Thanks for joining us. We, we wrap up Galatians next week. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.